Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Class Action is a production of iHeartRadio and Sound Argument. Got it, and we are recording. So as somebody who's been doing this for more than 20-something years, this being a trial lawyer, I'd love to know how you guys are feeling, because candidly, I'd like to feel a little bit better about kind of the state of play, because I'm a little bit disheartened by what's been going on. I'm more than happy to speak on that. I'm currently working as a legal intern for the New York Civil Liberties Union, and I'm in their legal policy department. So as the Dobbs decision has come out, um, it's it's been a really interesting time to be working in civil rights litigation and especially to be on the ground at City Hall in the middle of protests. Yeah, I mean, I truly never thought that I would be sitting, studying for the bar, and get a notification on my phone saying that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Like I was sitting in, in this seat, I, I don't think I'll ever forget it, doing like a MBE practice set. And then like that, I snapped my fingers in case the, the audio didn't pick that up. Then like that, you know, my, my rights were taken away from me. I actually had a similar thought, like when this all happened, I was thinking like, I remember learning about Roe and Casey and Griswold and all the, like all these cases in Common Law just a year ago. And I think I was with a friend come like at work. I remember I was sitting in the courtroom waiting actually for a trial to start and the decision came out in addition to like the just automatic devastation and not shock because it wasn't a surprise to be honest, but like devastation and just confusion was also like, what does this mean for the future in terms of our legal education. I'm very upset and disheartened because I used to always say that the courts were a place of recourse. The courts were a place that you could go to get some sense or some semblance of reasoned explanation, decisions that had some bases that were grounded in law, right? That had some type of reason to them. And that it's been very hard as a woman, as a mother, as a human 
to figure out how it's possible to have somebody regulate your uterus and your vagina, but not regulate a firearm. I've been hearing a lot of this rhetoric that the system is broken. The judicial system is broken. Um, And I disagree with that sentiment in a sense, because I think for a system to be broken, it needs to be fully functioning to begin with. And I don't think that that was ever the case um, in any American institution, to be honest. I think that we are a society that was founded upon murder and racism and violence. And to be an educated American citizen, you have to acknowledge that history. I think we are an extremely hypocritical nation. We invade other nations on the pretense of morality and human rights, but in our own backyard, we are violating the 8th and 13th Amendment in prisons, and we are forcing 10-year-olds to carry a pregnancy to term when they are the victim of rape or incest, and we kill or injure over 100,000 Americans every year with guns. So I think I personally have always felt a sense of urgency and responsibility to advocate for everyone's equal rights. And that comes from a place of compassion and empathy. But I've shifted to a feeling of anger in the past couple of weeks when my own personal rights have have been under attack and have been threatened. Do you feel like you're now even more primed in light of all of the civil rights that are kind of at issue Now, because of the Supreme Court decisions, do you guys feel like it's made you even more ready because you've you've had a test run now? I mean, you guys have have done, you know, mock litigation involving civil rights. And that's exactly what's about um, to really kind of come to a forefront in every state of this land. Every state's going to have massive litigation, which will eventually end up in front of the Supreme Court again, I think, on critical civil rights issues. I think that having this opportunity to do this particular competition two semesters ago was very important to me. I never had um, experienced, I used to work in personal injury and then I dabbled with criminal law, but like this specific competition really kind of put me in the center of what it's really like. There's so much hate in this world. There's so much divide in this world. And again, the whole competition is about homeless people literally being persecuted because they were homeless. And that just adds on to everything and just intertwining it back to the Roe question, Roe v. Wade question that you had before. It's just, it's so ironic that we're law students. We're supposed to go out and defend people and stand up for people's rights, but I've never felt so hopeless and sad and angry than than now and it's just I'm supposed to go out there and help people and I'm just so hopeless myself right now. I mean Anjani I know that you want to focus on immigration no shortage of massive immigration issues that have come out of the last administration and the one right now there's title 42 that's going on the remain in Mexico Supreme Court dealt with that, gave the Biden administration and went on that, but Title 42 is still there. I mean, that's just a small example of some of the issues that are going on, and that's just on the border. That doesn't encompass all immigration issues, but are you still focusing on that, you think, when you graduate from law school, or has the recent kind of slew of what I will editorialize, say, are bad decisions from SCOTUS changing your mind as well as it did for Catherine? 
Yeah, I'm still planning to do immigration law. That's kind of always been my compass. Um, this summer, I'm working at a public defender's office in New York in their immigration practice. And so you're seeing the overlay of immigration issues with criminal issues, with family issues, with civil issues. And it's like all of that together, obviously, there are severe impacts on these, this population of, of folks that we're working with given this term's decisions. But, you know, for a long time, immigration has been a punching bag. It's been used as a bargaining chip by our government. Um, the Dreamers, they've been used as a bargaining chip. And, you know, I think, you know, folks in this room, they'll say, you know, obviously I'm angry, obviously I'm, I'm upset, but for so long, immigration advocates have been dealing with this and our populations have not had access to abortion rights. They've not had, had access to interstate travel. And so we have been preparing for this in the immigration world. We have always dealt with these issues. And so to the extent that it's new or different, it is for a different population of people. Yeah, I'm, I'm still walking that path. I think it's the most vulnerable group of people that you know, you can you can work with in this country. And, and I say that with a grain of salt, of course, because I hope someday that there are more rights afforded to undocumented folks and people who are seeking immigration relief and that the system becomes better. But that's that's my path. I'm still walking it and and we'll see how it goes. And hopefully I don't get burnt out in the process, but I'm working on that, too. So it's a journey. I think that there are just so many different things that are going on in this world today that if you can't identify with one thing, you can dent uh, definitely identify with another or feel like you're being affected somehow. Just even, I remember Anjani and I participated in... Um, we did a, a pro bono clinic with Safe Harbor Clinic from Brooklyn Law School to help with TPS, Temporary Protected Status for Ukrainian Refugees. And I just remember so many people from Brooklyn Law School, from other uh, schools and other places showing up, you know, maybe no one having anything to do with Ukraine, having no ancestors or, or family members from there. And people were so willing to show up and help. And if people are so willing to do that, then, you know, I'm very sure that there's going to be a lot of students who are changing their minds about which kind of law they want to practice here and what they want to do with their careers in the United States, within the United States. So I have no doubt that many people are going to, that might be changing their career paths and what they want to practice. And how are you feeling, Catherine? I know that your mom was a lawyer in Ukraine, so you have a very personal connection to it. How are things going? And do you, how are you feeling about the fact that this is still an ongoing war? in Ukraine and, and it hasn't ceased. And uh, there's been some recent developments with um, admission uh, for NATO, et cetera, but I mean, it's a lot. So how are things going for you and your family? I honestly, every morning I turn on the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, and it's usually like the front page on the, on the internet. And every day it's just people are dying, cities getting bombed. It's just insane. And my mom is always on the news. Anytime she has free time, she's reading something or listening to something and hoping she like one day gets excited. She's like, okay, I think this is going to come to an end. And then the next day, 
something horrible happens in some part of Ukraine and she's just like, oh no, this is going to take a while. And uh, we have family that has uh, left to Poland, some to Canada. I have family coming in this month of uh, here to our home. And it's sort of a bittersweet experience because I'm happy to see them, but I know why they're here. And it, it, it breaks my heart, but my mom, she's a paralegal and she's always constantly doing research to see what kind of lawyers are out there, immigration lawyers uh, who can help um, so that she stays connected and she has information to give out to people who are interested. So it's a struggle every day, but we're, we're staying strong and we're going to stay positive. <laughs> It's not a sense of anger for myself, but it's a sense of anger for the fact that time is a finite resource and we don't have time to be fighting these old battles. We have so much progress that still needs to be made in terms of systemic racism, um, in terms of institutions like the education system, the criminal justice system, police reform, police brutality, um, things that I'm deeply committed to myself. And we've fought these battles already. And so I'm angry in the sense that it's now hindering the progress that I'm personally working towards. And I know people who are invested in civil rights and civil liberties are working towards because we just, we have so much more work to do. Echoing Ellie that I'm going to make a decision to try to, you know, keep it together, stay strong and still have faith that you know, this country will one day go the right direction. But meeting you, all of you, and meeting all of the students, undergrad and law school, and the total unadulterated joy, passion, desire to effect change makes me feel so much better about where this world is heading where my little girl is going to have for her future, what type of place she's going to have a seat at the table because of women like you. It makes me feel a lot better because we live in a very difficult world with very selfish people that sit in seats of power. So to be able to listen to all of you say, what you care about and how it impacts you and why it motivates you to do what you're going to do helps me breathe a sigh of relief to say, okay, the world's going to be in a good place and we're going to be in, and we're, I'm, I'm leaving this world, this world of law, the world in general, this world's being left in good hands. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. 
This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 